What a joy to welcome you to this time of worship together, and also want to say a word of welcome to uh, to those who may be joining us today uh, via Facebook Live or on our webpage. We're always delighted uh, to have you all joining us as part of these services. If you can't be here today, so thank you, and just feel like you're part of the crowd, even if you're out there in cyberspace. We're glad you're here. We're continuing a series of messages from the New Testament book of Philippians entitled, Life Doesn't Have to Be Perfect to Be Wonderful. And this morning, I want us to wrestle with the question, what in the world am I living for? Kind of a simple question, deep question. What in the world am I living for? You know, we all have this innate desire for our lives to matter, for our lives to have significance, for there to be a sense of real meaning and purpose in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to be attempting to answer that question. And in order to try to do that, I want to begin this morning with, uh, with an illustration that I heard uh, Francis Chan, uh, I'm not leaving, I'm just walking over here, um, the illustration I heard Francis Chan give several years ago. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this rope over here. It's a long rope. In fact, it, it's a really long rope. I, it's a lot longer than I thought it was. Anyway, there's this, this long rope. As long as, uh, as long as this rope is, as it goes out that door over there, I want you to imagine this morning that it's even longer. I want you to imagine that it just goes on and on and on forever. Make several million loops around the earth and just goes on and on and on. And I want you to imagine that this rope that goes on and on and on is a timeline of your life. A timeline of your life. You know, you, you're going to go on and on and on, right? Do you understand that? You're going to live forever, somewhere, the Bible says. You're going to spend eternity. So your life is just going to go on and on and on. Now, <clears throat> you see this little red part on the rope? This little red part represents the time you spend on earth. All right? It represents the time you spend on earth. And all of this other stuff that just goes on and on and on, this, this represents eternity. So you finish up with this red part, and then you just keep going forever and ever and ever. Now, here's the thing. Some of us are absolutely consumed with this part. You with me? Do you understand that the Bible says what we do with this part, this tiny slice of time, this tiny increment of life on earth, do you understand that the Bible says how we spend this part affects what's going to happen in all of this part? Do you understand that? That this part 
What we do with this part, how we spend this part, how we live this part is going to determine what happens in all of the rest of this time, millions and millions and millions and billions of years, eternity. And what I do not understand is why so many of us are consumed with this part. It's all we talk about. All we talk about. Man, I'm going to have some fun right here. I'm going to get to do this right here. I've got some big plans for right here. You know, I'm going to work really hard in this part right here so that I can enjoy this part right here. You with me? And and we get consumed with that. Just get all caught up in it. This morning, I want us to look at what the Word of God has to say about this little red part. Because why should we spend this little red part trying to make ourselves as comfortable as we can, trying to have all the fun we can, trying to chase after all the stuff that we can, when folks, we're going to cross a line right here one day, and we're going to have all the rest of this to deal with for all of eternity. The Apostle Paul, in our text for today, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, very familiar text, pushes back against this kind of being consumed with this part of life. He pushes back against it hard. And he says to us in these verses, not that I have already obtained all this, not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the mark to win the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm not consumed with this. I'm using this. I'm living in this. But I am using it. I am handling it, I am expending it, I am manipulating this so that I can maximize this. That's what he's telling us. I'm using this in a way that I can maximize that. And in the analogy of the runner, Paul says, there is a prize out there. There is something I am straining for. There is something I am running after. There's a purpose I'm chasing that is the reason for this. And there are several things in 
those verses that I just shared with you that I read that help us understand how we're supposed to use this in order to maximize this. And to make sure we don't miss the purpose of the red part. So let's look at some things this morning very quickly, and I'll, I'll try to move through them quickly. First of all, if we're going to understand the meaning and the purpose of this, what in the world I'm here for and you're here for, Paul says it begins with a critical realization. A critical realization. Paul says in the first part of verse 12, he says, I am pressing on to take hold of something. I'm pressing on in this life to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I want you to notice that little phrase, that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul realized something that is fundamental about this red part, something that is critical about this earthly life if you're a believer, and that is when Jesus Christ took hold of you, when he saved you, he took hold of you and he saved you with a great goal in mind, a great purpose in mind. When he did so, he, he took hold of us with this incredible purpose. Paul said, in this life, in this red part, this tiny slice of time, I am passionately pursuing that thing for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That great goal, that great purpose that God has for my life. What is it? What is that goal? What is that purpose? What are you here for as a child of God? Well, God's Word tells us in Romans chapter 8, we're very familiar with verse 28 of that chapter. I'm not so sure where it's familiar with verse 29, so I'll read them both. Romans 8 28 and 29 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his what? His purpose. And then he tells us what that is. For those whom he, that is God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So Paul says, when God took hold of you, when he saved you, he saved you with a purpose. He knew before he saved you. He knew beforehand. That's what predestined means. He knew beforehand that he was going to save you for a purpose, and that is to be shaped, that is to be conformed, that is to be molded to what? You can speak up. To, to Jesus, right? To his son. We're to be conformed to his son. Listen, fill in these blanks. As a Christian, I have been called to a lifelong pursuit of Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is the goal. 
Christ-likeness is the issue here. Paul says, I want to take hold of Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to have Christ. I want to become like Christ. And this is no secondary pursuit Paul has because he says, I press on to take hold of this. That word means to run after something. It means to pursue something. It means to chase down something. In Paul's day, the word was used of a runner. It was used of a sprinter who was expending every ounce of energy so that he could overtake all of the other runners and win the race. It speaks of an aggressive, energetic, no-holes-barred expenditure of energy and effort. Paul says, I'm running after Christ. I'm running after Christ's likeness. I want to take hold of this with everything that I've got. I'm chasing this. I'm pursuing this. I am running this down. Church, how pale so often our Christian lives are when we compare them to this kind of passion that we see in the Apostle Paul. How anemic our lives are. So many of us have no such goal. We have no such dream. We have no such plan. We're simply living our lives one day at a time and taking whatever life brings our way. No great noble cause. No great ambition. For way too many of us, the church, as a matter of fact, if we're honest, our greatest goal in life is just to get out of bed every morning, <laughs> do the things that we have to do, get through the day, get to the end of the week or to the end of the month so that we get that paycheck, and then in between, we do our best to amuse ourselves in some way. And that's what this is all about. Is that what this is all about? God help us if that's what this is all about. So here's a question for you this morning. Am I aware of my life's purpose? Really? Am I aware of my life's purpose? Am I running after? Am I striving? Am I straining every single day to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me? Is the goal of my life to become more and more and more like Him? Here's a truth for you this morning, okay? Here's a truth. I want you to put it in your little red wagon and I want you to pull it along behind you, okay? Here's a truth for you this morning. God's great goal for my life is not to make me happy. It is to make me holy. It is to make me holy. It is not to satisfy me. It is not to pamper me. It is not to make my life comfortable. It is not to make me feel good. It is to make me like Jesus. And so this morning, we're not going to go anywhere if we don't begin with this critical realization that I'm to spend my life in a passionate pursuit 
of Christ likeness, seeking to be made holy, more holy every day as I follow hard after Christ. Honest realization, a critical realization. Secondly, there needs to be an honest evaluation. There needs to be an honest evaluation. See, the only place we'll ever get, only way we'll ever get to the place where God wants us to be here is to stop and be honest about where we are here. We've got to be honest about where we are here. We've got to do some honest evaluation, some real personal spiritual examination. Paul was honest in his evaluation of his own life. And when he did that, he said this in verses 12 and 13. Look at it. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Paul was honest in an evaluation of his own life. And some translations, like the New American Standards, have Paul saying, I know I have not already become perfect. That word perfect just means to reach the end. It means to to be complete. Paul says, in my pursuit of being like Christ, I'm not at the end. I'm not finished. I've not yet become all God wants me to become. I've not yet done all that God wants me to do. And this is an amazing statement when you recognize who said it and when he said it. This is the Apostle Paul. This time in his life, he was an older man. His ministry was coming to an end. You remember, he was at this moment sitting in a Roman prison cell waiting on the verdict of the Roman emperor to see whether or not his head was going to be cut off. If anyone had a right to feel like he'd done his due, it was Paul. I mean, after all, he'd written most of the New Testament. He had almost single-handedly spread Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. He had left a string of churches across the Mediterranean world. He had made an incredible impact for Christ everywhere he had gone. You would think he had done it all. You'd think he had seen it all. You'd think he had experienced it all. You'd think he could say, I'm finished. And yet... Paul says, I'm not there yet. I haven't done it all. I haven't seen it all. I haven't experienced it all. I don't have it all together yet. I've still got a long ways to go before God is finished with me. So here's the question for you. Here's the question. Am I committed to growth? Am I committed to growth? Am I honest enough to say this morning that God still has a work to do in me? Am I humble enough this morning to admit God isn't finished with me yet, that I'm not perfect, that I haven't arrived, that there's still things I need to learn, that there's still areas in my life that are not Christ-like? One of the reasons why we don't experience the fullness of life that God wants us to experience in this red part is because of something called spiritual pride. We think we know it all, we think we've seen it all, we think we've experienced it all. We think that, gosh, there couldn't be any area in my life after all this time 
where I might need to grow, where I might need to change, where I might need to reconsider something. Our theme song becomes that old gospel song. We shall not be moved. And that's where we live our lives. Immovable in the hands of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, here's the truth for you. You ready? Like it or not, here's the truth. If I'm not dead, I'm not done. You hear that? If you're not dead, my friend, you're not done. There is something that God still needs to do in your life. There are pursuits of Christ-likeness that you still need to undertake. There needs to be an honest evaluation this morning, an honest evaluation of your life and my life. Thirdly, there needs to be a ruthless elimination, a ruthless elimination. Paul says, verse 13b, but one thing I do, I love this, forgetting what is behind. If I'm going to make the most out of this so that I can maximize all of this, Paul says, I've got to forget what is behind. He's talking about forgetting the past. Well, okay, preacher, what in the past do I need to forget? Everything. Everything? Yeah. Everything. Why? Because what is behind has nothing to do with what is ahead as far as what God wants to do in your life. And I need to forget everything, the good things, the spiritual achievements, the virtuous accomplishments, the great victories. I need to forget the good things, and I need to forget the bad things, the sins, the failures, the disasters. I need to forget all of it. Why? Because it has nothing to do with the future. Nothing to do with what God wants to do in my life from this point forward. I, I, Paul's been talking about a runner here. I want us to follow that analogy of the runner for just a minute this, this morning. No runner goes into the starting blocks in a sprint. No runner gets down in, in, in that position waiting on the, the gun to fire and then turns to the folks around him or behind him and says, Hey, guys, guess what? I've won a whole lot of races in the past. I've run really fast in the past. Let me tell you, I, ran, I won this race 10 years ago. And I run that, won that race down in the other part of town five years ago. I've won a lot of races I can run really fast. You know what the coach is going to say to that runner? The coach is going to say, nobody cares about that now. Get in the blocks. Nobody cares about all the races that you've won in the past. Nobody's interested in that. It doesn't matter because if you don't look good today, you're not going to win this race. Leave it behind. And by the same token, no runner's going to get down in those starting blocks and turn to the runners behind him or beside him and say, oh my gosh, I ate an ice cream sundae last night. 
that's really going to weigh me down. There's no way I'm going to win this race today. No runner's going to say, you know, they, I drew the worst lane in this race, the worst possible lane I, they, they, they gave me. I, I just might as well give up. Not going to be able to make any progress. You know what the coach is going to say to that? The coach is going to say, would you just shut up? I don't want to hear about that. Get down in those blocks. Run this race. You can't do anything now about what you ate last night. You can't do one thing about the lane that you've been assigned to run in. Your job is to run. Just run the race. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's talking about. Forget about the past victories. Forget about the past mistakes, the regret, and the guilt of what might have happened yesterday. If I'm going to focus on growth, I must forget the past and focus on the present and the future. Here's a great text for you. I didn't have room to put it in your your message guide, but you ought to jot this text down. It's Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. It reads like this. The Lord God says this, Forget what happened before and do not think about the past. Look at the new thing I'm going to do. It is already happening. Don't you see it? I will make a road in the desert, and I will make rivers on the dry land. You see, you, you can't press on toward that new thing God wants to do if you're still holding on to the old thing. And we do it all the time. I sometimes hear folks in the church say, you know, man, I wish we could get back to the good old days. <laughs> man, it was so great back then. Everything was so great back then. You know, we were all involved doing this. We were all in agreement with that. It used to be so many people here. We used to know exactly what was going to happen back then. It was great. Can I say to you, that is absolutely irrelevant right now. It means absolutely nothing in this moment except that it's going to paralyze you. And then there are also churches who are full of all kinds of people who are holding grudges and bitterness and all, all kinds of things have happened and they're hanging on to, to the junk from the past and, and they're paralyzed by that. And then, then there's some folks who just hold on to some bad experience, some circumstance that in their life that they've been through and it, it becomes an anchor that just weighs them down. So we either, we either rest on the past and we talk about how good it was or, or we get all burdened about the past because of tough things that have happened in our lives. Paul says, just run the race today. Do what God has called you to do today. The victories of yesterday aren't sufficient for today. The struggles and the hurt and the guilt of the past is going to hold you back from what God wants to do today. So here's the question. The question is this. Do I understand the need for change? Do I understand the need to move on from past victories? Do I understand the need to move on from past defeats and struggles? God is wanting to do a new thing. And I need to understand he is a God of change. He is a God of, of a new day. He is a God of a new way. He is a God of a new future. Do I understand the need for change in my life? 
And here's the truth. It ought to help you. Here's the truth. It ought to help you. Just because something is part of my history doesn't mean it's part of my destiny. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Just because something's part of your history doesn't mean God wants it to determine your destiny. Press on. Run the race today. There needs to be a ruthless elimination of the past. Number four, Paul calls for a fixed concentration. Again, in in verse 13, he says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Again, the picture is that of a runner. Do you see the word straining? It means to overexert yourself. It means to overextend yourself. It paints the picture of a runner. And his eyes aren't on the crowd. His eyes aren't on the competitor. His eyes are right here on the finish line. His eyes are right here on the prize. He's focused. He has a fixed concentration. I read somewhere several months ago that the greatest social illness in America today is something called fragmentosis. Fragmentosis. It means that we're running around trying to do a thousand different things at the same time. That's where many of us live. We're so distracted. We're, we're so diverted by, by so many things that we can't concentrate on the main thing. There's a great story about that in Luke chapter 10. You know it well. Jesus and his disciples came to a village where a woman named Mary opened up her home to Jesus. And she had a sister called Mary. And Martha began to get all busy trying to prepare the meal and and clean the house and make sure everything was ready for Jesus. Mary, instead of being distracted by all of that, came and sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him teach. And Martha, looking at her sister Mary sitting over there doing nothing, got incensed and she went to Jesus and she said, don't you care? Don't you care, Jesus, that my sister is sitting here while I'm having to do all of this work? You need to tell her to help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and you are perplexed and you are distracted about so many things. But only one thing is needful. Only one thing is really important. Only one thing is necessary and Mary has found it. Church, we are so distracted by a thousand different things that we can't concentrate on the main thing that God has saved us and called us to do. Can we give this race the concentration that it deserves? Can we give this race the concentration that it demands? You know, if a a river spills over its banks, you get a marsh. You get a swamp. 
But if you can somehow channel that water and dam it up and concentrate its force, it creates tremendous power. And it can light an entire city. By the same token, if you take light and you scatter it and you diffuse it, it becomes weak and relatively powerless. But if you can focus that light, if you can channel that light, you get a laser, an instrument, a a tool of great power and usefulness. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you this morning, it is time for us to concentrate on this race. It is time for us to strain forward to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. So here's the question for you this morning. Do I have a spiritual focus? Do I have a spiritual focus or is my life so distracted? Am I so diverted? Am I chasing after a thousand different things so that I can't chase after the real thing, the main thing, the right thing? That's the question. That's the question. And my friends, here's the truth. If I try to pursue everything, I will achieve nothing. You know that. And yet, we do it all the time in our Christian walk and in our pursuit of Christ's likeness. Well, very quickly, let me wrap this up by looking at one final thing this morning. Paul speaks not only of a critical realization, not only of an honest evaluation and a ruthless elimination and a concentration that that is fixed, but he also talks about a relentless determination. A relentless determination. Look at verse 14. Paul says, but one thing I do. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can you hear his determination there? Can you you feel his intensity there? This takes effort. This takes stamina. takes perseverance because it is not easy. The things that God has called you and me to do, church, presents an incredible challenge to us. If you don't like challenges, listen to me. If you don't like challenges, you just need to get out of the Christian life. If you don't like challenges, you just just need to get out of the church because this is a challenge. It's a struggle. It's a battle. It's not easy. It's often counterintuitive. It's always countercultural. It's going to require effort and energy and sacrifice and incredible determination if you're going to be and do what God has called you to be and called you to do. Listen, let me give you two words that should never be in a Christian's vocabulary. You ready? The first one is the word quit. Quit. Man, the world is full of quitters. It's full of people who cop out, who opt out, who drop out, who give up. 
People give up on their business. They give up on their marriage. They give up on their kids. They give up on their church. They give up on their hopes and their dreams just because it gets hard. Sure, it's hard. Nobody ever said it would be easy. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Do you see the word endure? Do you see the word soldier? This is a battle. This is a fight. Nobody ever said it would be easy. It's going to take people of determination. It's going to take people of resolve. It's going to take people of stamina. It's going to take a willingness to sacrifice. The Christian life is a life of blood, sweat, and tears. And the number one rule is you can't quit. You can't give up just because it gets hard. Because if you quit, you're going to lose out. If you quit, you're going to miss out. Don't quit. So quit is not part of your vocabulary. The second word that should not be part of your vocabulary as a Christian is the word impossible. God says all things are possible. I love Ephesians 3.20. Now glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. Nothing is impossible with God. But there's, there's a question that you've got to ask. The question is this. Am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to pay the price? Do I have the determination to hang in there, not quit, not give up, not drop out? Am I willing to do whatever it takes? Am I willing to go all the way with God? Am I willing to see this thing through? Am I willing to see this life through to the end to complete what God has called me to do? Here's the truth for you. If I don't live with determination then I won't die with satisfaction. If I don't live with determination, then I won't die with satisfaction. I want to tell you something. I want to die like the Apostle Paul. Can I just say that this morning? I want to die like the Apostle Paul. Do you see what he said at the end of his life? 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul came to the end of his life and said, you know what? I finished. I finished. Some of us have never really gotten started. I love the message translation. This is the only race worth running. I've, word, I, I've run hard right to the finish, believed all the way. All that's left now is the shouting, God's applause. Are you living for the applause of heaven? Are you living for God's well done when you cross this line right here? 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, You've all been to the stadium and you've seen the athletes run. Everyone runs. One wins. Run 
to win. Run to win. Church, if you're going to run, run to win. Christian, if you're going to run, run to win. If you're not running to win, why bother getting in the race in the first place? Run to win. Let's give this race the determination it requires and deserves. Paul said, see this red part? Paul said, I'm going to live my life for this purpose. I'm going to spend my life. I'm going to invest it. I'm going to cross the finish line. I'm going to forget all this other stuff. I'm not going to look around. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to be like a runner who's, who's striving, straining for that moment right here for this moment when I face God, when I see God face to face, because when I see God face to face, my opportunity will be over to do anything with this part. It'll be done. I don't get a second chance at life on earth. And it can end at any second for any one of us. It can be gone in an instant. Paul says, I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to be consumed with this. Instead, he says, I'm going to be focused on this. I'm going to be focused on this. Now, I know what somebody might say. You might say, preacher, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> because if all you do is focus on this, it's going to affect this. Well, you know what I want to say? I want to say, you're stupid. You're stupid. Because if you focus on this, it's going to affect that. Is that smart? You're going to spend this, trying to be as comfortable as you can, trying to have it your way, trying to, to be happy, you think that's smart? Not even knowing if you're going to have tomorrow? Paul says, I'm not going to be distracted by this part. I'm not going to be constantly looking around at all this stuff. I, I, everybody, everybody lives for the red part. No one's thinking about this part. No one's thinking about eternity. The millions and millions and millions of years afterwards. It's a crazy deception. But you know what? We, we, can't seem to, we can't seem to keep it out of our minds. Paul said, I'm going for the finish line. Not going to look behind me. I'm going to strain forward. I'm going to stretch forward. I'm going to live this out with honest evaluation and ruthless elimination, a fixed concentration, relentless determination. I'm going to get that prize, Paul said. Now, I'm not there yet, but you better believe I'm going to strain every muscle and I'm going to use every ounce of energy and all of my focus and all of my determination. I'm going to pass that line and I'm going to pass it well. I'm going to pass it well. Are you? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning for this time.
I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for its truth. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way that it challenges so much of our contemporary mindset, even as followers of Christ. And I ask, Father, that that this morning you would help us to understand that we're not here forever, not on this earth. And yet we're so consumed with it, we live for it. Satan just somehow manages over and over and over again, it seems, to get our attention focused on that red part. And we don't live this life with eternity in view. We don't live this life understanding there's going to come a time when we cross the finish line. And all that we do in this red part, all that we do in this earthly life, is going to impact our existence for millions and millions and multiplied billions of years for all of eternity. Oh God, like Paul, would we make the commitment today and say we're going to press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. We're not there yet. But with concentration and determination, we're going to forget what is behind and we're going to strain forward toward what is ahead to win that prize. that upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. God, help us to live those kinds of lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing. We're going to sing a great old hymn. And I hope as you sing it this morning, these words will be the prayer of your heart, not just the words of your lips. Have that own way, Lord. You're the potter, I'm the clay. You just take me and do what you want to do this morning. I know of no greater prayer you can pray. I know of no greater decision you can make. If you need to respond this morning, this altar is open. If I can pray with you, I'm here to do that. As we sing, Kevin, as you lead us.